The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey everybody, welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for tuning in today. It's a, it's a big deal that you take the time to download this and find out what we are talking about, and I always appreciate it very, very much. So today, an interesting conversation that's going to be on hand. An organization in Macomb County called Turning Point is celebrating its 40th anniversary, and they deal with survivors of domestic abuse and sexual assault. They've been doing fantastic work in the community for a long time. And one of the things that we have seen happen during the pandemic is an increase in the number of people that are dealing uh, with these issues. Police are seeing a spike in the number of calls as people are cooped up. They've been in lockdown. There's a lot of stress, uncertainty, and it's creating a bunch of problems. Joining me now to talk a little bit more about the organization and what is going on uh, with them during this pandemic, how they're dealing with it and what they're planning to do and learning from it is Sharman Davenport. She's the CEO of Turning Point. Again, their website is turningpointmacomb.org to get more information there. But Sharman, welcome to the Craig Folly Show. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, reading through some of the materials and taking a look at your organization, uh, this is an incredibly trying time for a lot of the people that you're trying to serve. Uh, and, and something that I don't think a lot of people are giving as much thought to, uh, but you have seen a pretty rapid increase in the number of, of emergency calls uh, from people that are finding themselves in really difficult situations, almost trapped in a way. Uh, talk a little bit about how COVID has impacted your mission and, and what you're trying to do. So, of course, um, Turning Point is an essential service agency. So we have definitely remained open during COVID, during the pandemic. However, what we have seen from the people who use our services is a major increase in the number of crisis calls that were coming in. This started shortly after the order to stay at home went into effect. And, you know, people were finding themselves, as you, you know, say, trapped in a domestic violence situation with no real outlet and uh, kind of trapped um, in a worse situation because of the heightened level of frustration and anxiety that these uncertain times created. Well, and, and also, I would say, oh, go ahead, please. I was just going to say that many of our calls, although they weren't calling for shelter, a lot of them were calling for support, um, for safety planning, or, you know, some of the sexual assault survivors were calling just because these uncertain times created a really emotional uh, toll on their lives and, you know, just increasing that level of fear and anxiety. Well, and also, I mean, being in close proximity to the person that may be abusing you uh, and not able to get out of the situation because of the of the lockdown that was going on the stay at home orders and as you mentioned the uncertainty that's got to be adding to a lot of fuel um sometimes to some of these contentious relationships i would say that's certainly the case and i think we have uh, evidence of that you know based on the number of increased calls but also based on the number of calls that um, the police department has had to respond to and you know, I'm sure you have seen on the local news how many women have been killed um, during this pandemic as a result of domestic violence. 
Well, and obviously, um, there's got to be a bit of a reluctance, too, on the people to seek out emergency shelter if they need it for fear of, of COVID. Uh, you know, what, what message do you have for people that are using your services about your facilities that, that will ease their mind a little bit about what's potentially available to them? So, um, as I said earlier, we have maintained all of our services, which includes our 24-hour crisis line and our shelter for survivors of domestic and sexual assault. But we have taken all the necessary precautions to help people stay safe. So we have a 52-bed shelter, 13 rooms at our facility. And we, so at this point, there's no one who has family that is sharing any bedroom space or community bathrooms. So we really tried to maintain the social distancing requirements, masks, and we are going out of our way to really keep the agency sanitized. Um, so that for our shelter, I think, you know, because I know people would have fear, right? You're going into a communal situation. And so a lot of people are faced with the decision, do I want to stay here and um, try to manage this abusive situation? Or do I want to take myself and my children into a situation that might be even more uh, deadly, you know, more uh, risky for me because it's potential that I could get COVID-19. And so we hear that all the time on the phone, um, you know, where people are just not sure, but we do maintain a very sterile facility and we are doing everything in our power to keep those who are staying with us safe and risk-free. We also, um, I would say the same thing for our forensic nurse examiners program, because we saw the numbers fall there as well for a while. Um, but the, you know, our facility is in an office. It's not in a hospital setting. And all of our nurses are very aware of COVID-19 and all of the practices that they need to have in place to maintain everyone's safety. And when, when people come in, we, you know, if you don't have a mask, we will provide you with one. Well, I should remind folks, my guest right now is Charmin Davenport, CEO at Turning Point. Uh, they are celebrating 40 years of providing services to those that suffer from domestic violence or sexual assault, uh, temporary shelter, counseling, uh, obviously long-term counseling and, and help for people that are involved in this situation. And we're talking about the impact that COVID has had uh, on the situation. Um, Charmin, I, I don't want to suggest that there's ever any sort of a bright side to something like this situation we're in, but I'm assuming that you're learning a lot about your organization, strengths, maybe even some weaknesses that have been exposed as a result of this. Uh, what do you take away so far from what you've learned? Well, actually, during this time, we have um, have stepped up. I've had some staff really step up and be able to provide, I think, some very much needed training. Uh, it's been an opportunity for the staff, even though we're, you know, we're using primarily Zoom, to come together in groups to kind of help create a more uh, cohesive environment. Uh, we have, um, so we're really making some changes um, that we plan to put in place uh, probably, to, you know, closer to October that I think are really going to strengthen the agency. We have, um, you know, this this is the timing of this has actually nothing to do with uh, COVID-19, but we were also recently awarded some grants so that we could start providing housing for uh, survivors who are leaving shelter. So um, that's going to be huge. It's a brand new um, uh, kind of a department for our agency, and 
we will, you know, that's one of the primary barriers for uh, individuals who are in shelter is, okay, where do I go next? Um, so now we will be able to provide that, you know, starting in October, actually a little bit sooner on a smaller scale. But I think that's huge. It will also help us protect and uh, minimize the risk for people who are in shelter because we will get them in quickly and then move them out quickly into their own apartment. Um, so we're really excited about that. And so we're, we've really done a lot to uh, prepare for that. And I think that um, during this sort of downtime, you know, as we might call it, um, it's given us more time to focus on some of those kind of things, some of the growth and the opportunities and um, bridging some of the, the gaps that survivors face. Well, you One talk of our problems was IT, uh, yeah, <laughs> having well. the te proper technology, right, to uh, accommodate all of the, the Zoom meetings and calls and everything that we were going to start needing to do um, versus, you know, seeing people in person. Well, that, that digital divide is something that has been a significant barrier for a lot of students in the region uh, that are trying to get distance learning, things along those lines. And, and I'm assuming that a, a big percentage of your population struggles with the same sort of access issues. How do you overcome that if you are going to be going to virtual meetings, Zoom, things like we're using right now, obviously? Uh, are, there, are there resources available to help you do that so that these people can have the outreach opportunities they need? We do have some resources. Uh, I think right now they're still on a minimal scale in terms of IT, but we you know we have worked to upgrade our uh, computers that we have in our lab so that anyone who is at our facility will have access. Um, we've uh, purchased more laptops and um, you know we have all the you know the Zoom subscriptions now. So it's important that the staff have access. To this technology, but it's also going to be important for you know the survivors that are staying with us because some of them will be with us for 45 to you know maybe up to 90 days. So um, we are going to be working on that. Some of our funders have uh, reached out you know to all of the agencies across Southeast Michigan and in, in well across Michigan I should say and inquired about what our needs are and so they are really working to help find funding to support technology. Well, I, it seems to me too, one of the barriers to people getting the help that uh, Turning Point offers is, is often fear. Uh, frankly, there's a lot of people that just don't know what potential options are out there. They're afraid to leave. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, there's housing issues, uh, employment issues, so many other things that go into making this step and actually getting some help for your situation. Uh, and, and when you see an increase like this, uh, and the number of calls that are coming in. Um, what does it tell you about uh, what you need to do in terms of outreach and making sure that people are aware that there is support out there, that they're not alone? Uh, for one, it tells us that we need to um, really get the word about word out about our services. So this is why this is such a wonderful opportunity for us. Uh, we need to be able to reach more people and use different uh, avenues to do so. Um, we are involved in community education and high school, middle school, prevention services. But I think that um, even given, you know, the fact that we are involved in a lot of these areas, there are still a lot of people who are not aware of us or not aware of the, um, you know, the importance or the capabilities um, of, of our agency. I mean, we have a very, uh, our shelter was built uh, about seven years ago. So it's, it's very nice. It's, you know, basically state of the art. It's clean. 
Um, it's very welcoming. And, you know, sometimes when you envision a shelter, that, that's not what you think of. And so um, I think maybe at some point it might even be helpful for us to do some virtual tours, you know, so that people can see, you know, what it looks like. They can see, you know, who the staff are and understand better, you know, what it is they're going to be walking into when they arrive at Turning Point. Because part of the biggest problem is fearing the unknown, right? It's like, you know, if I leave, I know, I know the situation that I'm currently in, you know, and I've learned over time how to manage some of this um, abuse. Um, but, you know, if I leave this and I'm going into this shelter, which is unknown, an unknown to me, I don't know what I'm going to face. And I don't know, you know, what's going to happen to my children. You know, because that is always one of the biggest concerns, you know, like how will my children do in a situation like this? Is it going to, you know, create some type of emotional duress and stress for them that um, is difficult for us to overcome? And I think, you know, once you, you know, you see Turning Point, you see the staff, we, you know, we have children's services for, you know, for the children to make sure that they feel comfortable, to make sure that they understand, you know, at their level, kind of what's going on and so that they can be part of that healing process. I, I think that's very important for, for people to understand. You're not just coming and having, you know, just a place to stay for a brief time. We are trying to provide the supports necessary to help survivors regain control of their lives and to, um, to really make sure that the children get that opportunity as well. My guest once again is Sharman Davenport, CEO of Turning Point. Uh, you know, there are a number of us that might know somebody who's in a situation or we suspect uh, that this type of thing is going on in a home. And, and obviously, organizations like yours are better equipped than individuals to, to intervene in these types of situations. But what can people do if, obviously, donating money uh, and, and, and time to, to your organization is a big part of that. But, but what can people do if they suspect somebody is indeed in a situation like this and could use uh, an intervention uh, from the type of organization like the Turning Point is? Well, um, of course, of all, as always, they can give our um, crisis line number out, okay? But, you know, sometimes it's really going to take more than that. So if you could, if you know someone and you could uh, convince them to go to the Turning Point website and just kind of, you know, explore and just kind of see what we're all about I, I, and get more information on domestic violence and sexual assault and some of the things that can be done and need to be done, you know, to help heal and remove people from that situation. I, I think that will be very helpful. The other thing is, you know, a lot of times, um, if you're in a domestic violence situation, you're ashamed, you know, because you feel that you must, you must have done something wrong to be in this situation. And so if you're talking to someone that you know is facing domestic violence, it's important to let them know that you don't disrespect them because of it, that you believe what they're saying, and that you know they haven't done anything wrong. They've not done anything to deserve to be in that type of situation. So it's listening and giving them that support and then kind of passing on the information that they're going to need to be able to get help. Well, uh, Sharman, I was looking at some of the statistics uh, with some of the materials that, that I was looking at in regards to your organization, the numbers of people that you are serving in any given year. It's, it's thousands and thousands of people. Um, 
and there are organizations like yours all across Southeast Michigan, not a ton, but yeah. there are some out there. How close are we to actually meeting the need that's out there? How much more support is required if we're actually going to tackle this in a, in a really meaningful way? Well, um, we're going to need a whole lot more support because, you know, we, even though we have a large number of people that we see in the year, you know, for our, our shelter, um, we are seeing approximately 500, 500, 550 individuals in a year. And 250 of those are children. Okay. So that tells you when you look at the number of, of of people who are faced with domestic violence, that that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? That there are a lot of people who are not availing themselves, of, you know, of, of the shelter. Um, but there are also people out there who maybe could uh, not need shelter, but be able to go directly to a place of their own, but there is no affordable housing, right? Or a very little affordable housing, which is you know, a much larger problem that people face. You're not going to want to leave, you know, take your children from a nice home and then put them in a place that you know is going to be detrimental, you know, to their upbringing and their education and, and, and safety. And so, you know, affordable housing is a, a key. And that's why, you know, we're so excited now that we have this housing project um, that is going to be moving forward because that is one of the major obstacles for survivors is, okay, I'll, all right, I left, um, I'm safe, my children are safe, now what? Where do we go from here? And so, um, you know, I think that's going to be very significant. But, you know, there are, are a lot of survivors who um, don't really have a place to go. We don't typically turn people away, but... Um, when the numbers get too high, what we start, we, we're really assessing uh, the safety need, you know, the lethality of the situation. And if um, we assess that, you know, there, it's not a lethal situation, then we sometimes end up putting some people uh, on hold, you know, or, you know, we're, you know, why we find them another shelter to go to. If we really, if we're, if we're overfilled, then we also um, use hotels you know, to try to make sure that people are safe because we never want to be in a position where um, someone was in danger and we weren't able to respond. Um, so, you know, if you look across the Southeast Michigan, you're gonna, you would definitely find that there are not enough shelter spaces for survivors of domestic and sexual assault. Well, I should point out, obviously, that you are uh, getting ready to try to establish a million-dollar endowment, uh, which will help with, of course, the operational cost of the organization, yes. but also help you with that housing project that you're working on. Uh, I do want to let people know that they can participate. They can help out. Go to turningpointmacomb.org. That's the web address if you want more information about how you can support this organization that does such amazing work and has for 40 years now. You've got a golf outing coming up that might be fun for some folks. I know that's going on. Um, Definitely. And that's the, about the only socially distant thing we can do these days, Right, I think. right, exactly. Uh, I think but, it's going to be the only event that we're able to have this year since it's outside like that. Well, and that's, and that's tough for an organization like yours because these fundraisers are a big part of this uh, how do we transition people away from this notion of of hey you've got an event or you've got some sort of reward to just like look that's the right thing to do uh, we'll take your donation any way you can give it and uh, just help us out well hopefully through because we are going to have uh, a couple of virtual events 
And I think when we do these virtual events, that will that's kind of a transition on some level because people don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to uh, dress up. You know, they can stay at home and relax and still participate and still give a donation. So this may actually turn out to be some form of transition, you know, as we go through this pandemic. Um, because it is important that we receive financial support um, from the community. It's also important though that we receive volunteers from the community and ambassadors from the community. You know, we're very much engaged with our community education. So we have speakers and trainers that will go out to various organizations and companies and provide education on domestic violence and sexual assaults because one of our goals is to help change, help the community change their biases and their stereotypes and the oppression that um, kind of supports and allows domestic and sexual assault to continue. Well, one last question for you, Sharman, and I appreciate your time today, but uh, obviously there's a lot of concern about what's going to be happening at the state and local government level uh, and, and what sort of support services and, and everything will be available with, with you know, what looks like is going to be a pretty significant budget hit. Uh, to just about everybody unless the federal government decides to step in and, and is that something that you have to worry about uh and is it uh, or is that more of a tangential thing that sort of you know there might be some resources available to the individual but uh, it's it seems that it's just really uncertain that's all it's very uncertain um because you know m most of our funding does come from um federal government even if some of it is passed through to the state and then on to us um, but as the budget, uh, you know, as the government has less money, then they have less money to share. And, you know, so um, we have no idea at this point, um, you know, what budget cuts we might be facing. We hope they will be minimum because after all, we are an essential service. But, you know, uh, how far those cuts are going to go, we're not sure. And we do recognize that, really, you know, getting most of your funding through the government is really not the best place to be. And, and we do um, do a lot of fundraising. We do a lot of, you know, send out a lot of donor requests and different things like that. Um, but we know that that's an area that we are really going to have to step up in. Um, we really need a champion, you know, someone who really feels that domestic violence and sexual assault um, is significant to them and that they really want to be a part of, you know, making a difference um, for survivors. So um, we're, and that's, you know, how else are we going to get to that million dollar endowment, right? We really need some people who want to step up, support us. You know, we're trying to get a naming opportunity for the shelter, you know, and, um, you know, there's just a lot of different opportunities that people can give and that that significant you know we get a lot of a lot of gifts okay so uh i'm not saying that we don't that's partly how we survive right um, because there are people out there who really who do care um but if we had a significant gift it would you know kind of helps push you over the edge it kind of helps um keep some of those worries at bay and it would allow us to make sure you know make sure that we're able to continue to provide you know these services which are so essential to the community that we serve 
Well, it is for sure. It makes a, it's, it's a whole lot of different people coming together at all sorts of different levels that make this kind of thing work. As somebody who's raised money for public broadcasting for a long time, trust me, I, yeah. <laughs> I understand how that yeah. works. But we wish you nothing but, but success because the work that you're doing over there is, is really, really important. Uh, so congratulations on getting these projects started. We know you got to get it over the finish line. And I'll just remind folks, once again, go to turningpointmacomb.org to get more information about what you can do to support this organization, maybe even to volunteer. If that's what you can do, that is a huge thing as well and a, a gift that uh, is, is well beyond money. Believe me, it's pretty important stuff. But Charmin Davenport, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck, and uh, we'll check back in and see how things are progressing. All right, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care. Sherman Davenport is the CEO of Turning Point, and we appreciate her being with us on the program today. I also appreciate the fact that you have tuned into this. I appreciate the shares, the likes, the rankings, all that kind of stuff that you give me. It's a big deal, and I do uh, want to thank you for that. Don't forget, we always have a lot of fun during the week on this program. Fridays, it is the week that was. Look for the live broadcast on Facebook at 1130 on Fridays. And, of course, the podcast will be made available shortly after that. That's the one thing I know I'm going to be doing every single week on this program. So I can promo that one a little bit. The rest of the stuff just sort of comes when it comes. So uh, I appreciate the fact that you've been patient with me. If you have ideas on things that I should be covering, let me know. Again, my email address, Show at gmail.com and you can find me anywhere on social media give me your suggestions there I do appreciate it very much in the meantime have a great day we'll talk again soon The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in the city we're asking you to support independent local journalism by joining our $3 a month membership just go to our website and click the ad at the top or go to www.deadlinedetroit.com slash membership